Good evening. Welcome. We're in the middle of Lent, so uh, I'm going to sing you one of my songs as a sort of penance. Because <laughs> maybe you're not doing enough penance, and so I'm going to make sure that you do some penance while you're here. Um, this is a song uh, called The Dream of St. Joseph. Before their betrothal, Mary was found to be a mother. And Joseph grieved because he knew they'd never been together. Yet trusting in her virtue and being a just man, he resolved to divorce her quietly as he can. If the shame were ever discovered, even a hair's breath, his fiance would be judged and stoned to death. So he went to sleep that night in great anguish of heart, casting hope upon the waters without star or chart. But an angel in his dream said, Joseph, do not fear To take Mary into your home, what's conceived in her Comes not from another man, nor the urge of the flesh But the spirit of God's love finally come to rest Behold, she will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And from our crimes he is destined to save us. All this took place to fulfill what the prophets foretell. A virgin shall bear a child, our Emmanuel. Waking the next morning, he felt a call Because Joseph knew his dream was really no dream at all Mary was still his beloved, he was still her groom God with his now made man within her womb Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. It is through the Holy Spirit she'll give birth to new life. Do not fear, now it's clear. Joseph, come to adore. And Christ in the center of life, that's what a family is for. getting more penance. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was chaplain here for uh, three wonderful years, three and a half years. Uh, somebody asked sister today how long I was here, and she said six years. 
I said, maybe it only seemed like six, sister. Well, uh, it was one of the great blessings of my life. And I haven't done a retreat here in, I don't know, probably about three years. Maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> but uh, to me, uh, when I saw the, um, the theme, the family, and you all find their home, uh, I felt that I, I wanted to say yes to Sister uh, and that I wanted to do this retreat because it would mean that I was coming home to this place and all the sisters who are really my sisters, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful, Sister, that you found a place for me in the schedule. You know, uh, contemplating this theme, but also what what I might have to, to share with you, uh, it just struck me that life is very confusing today. Uh, so many people are full of anxiety. Uh, you might even use another word for it. It seems like the world is going crazy. You know, people are being put to the test all over the place. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't think you're alone if, if you feel that way. So uh, I, I like to start, um, I'd like to start this uh, conference with a joke, and not the song. The song was not a joke, okay? <laughs> but um, uh, this is, uh, hopefully, this is kind of an extended joke about uh, how crazy things can get. It's, it's about um, um, a mental hospital and the phone line, that if you call this mental hospital, the, these are the messages you get. There was an answering machine in a mental hospital. Hello, welcome to the mental hospital hotline. If you are obsessive compulsive, press one repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone to press two for you. If you have multiple personalities, press three, four, five, and six. If you are paranoid, we know who you are and are following you. Please stay on the line so we can trace your call. If you are delusional, press seven and your call we will be transferred to the mothership. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully and a voice in your head will tell you which number to push. If you are manic depressive, press either the highest or the lowest number. You have to know, that's kind of an inside joke. If you have a nervous disorder, please fidget with the pound key until a representative comes on the line. When is this joke gonna end? If you have short-term memory loss, press nine. If you have short-term memory loss, press nine. If you have low self-esteem, please hang up. All the operators are too busy to talk to you. And if you're going through a change of life, hang up, turn on the fan, lie down, and cry. <laughs> I know that doesn't pertain to anybody here. So, My dear ladies, um, don't worry. As confusing and conflicted as this world is, or as you may be feeling, even at this very moment, living in this modern world, which is really the same old weary world. Coming to a, ret uh, to a retreat is uh, not a sign of insanity, but a sign of sanity. 
coming to your senses, like the prodigal son or daughter coming home to the father, to love and warmth and security and peace. You recall Psalm 23 says, he restoreth my soul. That's what we hope for in a retreat, that the Lord will restore our souls. So you may feel a bit lost or confused or discouraged or disheartened or sad. You may be struggling with your faith, wondering what it all means, perhaps even why you are here this evening on this weekend retreat. But I think you can be sure of one thing, that God the Father has called you here. Jesus himself wants to embrace you. Uh, I suppose you saw the beautiful statue of our Lord, the Sacred Heart, out on the front lawn as you pulled in. Well, if you've got a closer look at it, there are some beautiful words uh, inscribed on the pedestal. It says, come to me, all you who find life burdensome, and I will refresh you. That's not just a, a pie-in-the-sky hope. That's a guarantee from our Lord. The Holy Spirit desires to heal, to console, to help, to enliven you once again. And the family of the church, represented by everybody who's here, also wants to restore you so that these three days that you spend here on retreat, you may feel almost like you've risen from the tomb with Christ. So you can return to your homes and to your families with renewed hope and to share your joy with them. The definition of a retreat, well, is to withdraw for a period of time. The time for, our, for us is three days, pretty much 40 hours. You remember the old 40-hour devotions yeah. they used to have in parishes? To withdraw uh, from your usual surroundings and occupations to a place of silence and solitude for meditation, self-examination, and prayer in order to make certain necessary decisions about your spiritual life. It's not just a time to rest, but it's a time to rest in the Lord. And the first necessary decision we need to make is to come, to show up. I congratulate you on that. Uh, how many of you had lots of temptations over the last week, maybe even yesterday, or this morning, well, I don't know if I should go. I think if we're honest, most of us did. And I had to be here. <laughs> no, it's just the, the enemy of our souls, whenever our Lord is going to accomplish something great in us, he wants to stop it. He sticks his nose in and tries to tempt us not to do God's holy will. So, I'd like you to think of this retreat as God's holy will for you over these next three days or 40 hours. A retreat is not a, a military term, you know. 
sounding the retreat, no, from our, our problems and our cares and our worries, as an, or as an army does when it's outmatched running from an overpowering enemy. It is not a running away from, but it is a running toward with great expectation, a turning toward with hope, a return to not a place but a person. And that person is Jesus. He's the one who loves you. You have many people who love you, but nobody loves you like he loves you. In a retreat, we may rightly run away from some things, however, things we don't need that are bad for us or harmful to us or hurtful to us. And yet we still have to run home. Think about when you were a kid and you were out playing and you, you fell down and you scraped your knee or your elbow. Where did you go? You ran home. And that's what we're doing ultimately. Making a retreat means coming home. And home, like the old saying says, and old sayings are often, usually true, home is where the heart is. I remember uh, coming home after my first semester at Boston University in 1973, and I was so homesick. And coming home, even to this day, whenever fall comes and I see leaves falling and Thanksgiving is coming up, it just it fills me with this feeling of coming home, even though, well, my mom and dad are long gone, gone to the Lord. My brothers and sisters, except for when my youngest sister, live far away. And yet that feeling of home I carry within me, Jesus. The heart of home is the family, and our family makes us feel at home. It's the way the Jews felt. You know, the title of this uh, retreat is The Family, and all, in you all find their home. For the faithful Jew, member of the chosen people of God, their home was Jerusalem, the temple. And whenever they made the, that trip uh, up the mount to the temple, they felt like they were going home. They, after 70 years in exile, they were called to come home. That's how they felt. I think it's how every, every Catholic feels when, when you're traveling. Have you ever traveled in, a, in another country? And you may not know the language. You may not understand much of what's going on in the streets. But you see a Catholic church. And you go in. And right before you is that flickering light next to the tabernacle. And you get down on your knees and you say, ah, oh, Jesus, you are here for me just as you were at home. And now I'm also at home. I'm not far from anyone I love because I love them through you. To me, that's one of the great joys of being a Catholic. And I was a missionary for many years, so I had that experience many, many times. Jesus the divine presence in the midst of his family, the family of God, the church. In making a retreat, we're coming home to the heart of Jesus, bless you. His sacred heart, which beats 
out of love for each and every one of us. Home is where the heart is, but I think it'd be more accurate to say home is where the sacred heart is. That's why many families, Catholic families, we have, we have a little altar, we have a little place, the center of our home, where we place the image of the sacred heart of Jesus. O sacred heart of Jesus, I implore that I may ever love thee more and more. Every time I see, I put a, a great big sacred heart in the middle of the rectory. And uh, every time I go by it, it reminds me. It's, it's a beautiful image where Jesus is holding his heart in his hand. And he's pointing to it like, here, this is for you. This is how much I loved you. And this is what our Lord is offering us tonight and during these hours and days to come. Home is, as we said, where the, is where the family is. And Jesus is, or desires to be, the center of every family. He wants every family to be a holy family, after the pattern of his holy family. Mary and Joseph with the child at the center. That's why I chose that song this evening. Christ, the center of life, that's what a family is for. God chose to be born in a holy human family. And why is that? Well, because God invented families. And every invention reflects the inventor. And the inventor of families is a trinity. And the family reflects the most holy trinity which is the nature of God. God is a kind of family, a non-biological, spiritual family, a communion of three divine persons bound together by eternal and infinite love. The ultimate reason why God designs us to live in families and societies made up of families is because he is love. God is a loving family. So what is the purpose of the family according to God? Well, I think we could say many things, but I'll narrow it down to three. The first purpose, the family is not only the place we are born into, into this world, it is the place where we learn to love. God creates children and we procreate them. Whenever a man and woman procreate a new human body, God creates a new human soul for it. A mother's womb is the center of the family, the place the family originates in that sense. Healthy bodies are shaped by health, food, health care, exercise, and so forth. Healthy souls are shaped by the spiritual health care of love received in the womb of the family. Families are schools of love that teach the first lesson in overcoming our natural egoism and selfishness. The family helps us choose between good and evil, between unselfish love and selfish self-love, between centering our lives only upon ourselves 
and cent or centering our lives upon God and others. That's the first purpose, we learn to love. The second purpose is we learn to be holy. God wants us to be holy, to know and love and serve him in this life, to become holy so as to live with him forever in heaven. And only the holy go to heaven. So our whole life is a process of becoming holy. And the meaning of our life is to become a saint. So the family is where we learn to be holy, the basic stuff of our life, whether we realize it or not. The basic cause of all tragedies in life, war, hatred, violence, injustice, oppression, most human sufferings, is the fact that human beings are not living holy lives. We need help. So God has given us our family, plus our extended family, the church. We enter the family of the church through baptism. And through the sacraments, God gives us the grace to live holy lives after the example of the Holy Family. Although your particular family and the family of the church may not be perfect, we still have to say there's no place like home. God wants your family to be a holy family. A humble, holy family realizes that it's not perfect, and so it needs God. And God wants your family to have Christ at the center, just as Christ is at the center of the church. Now, the third purpose, uh, where we learn to love, where we learn to be holy, the family is the foundation of society. If families are disintegrating, society is in deep trouble. So solid families are needed more than ever. This is why the church has always defended the family against immorality, same-sex unions, divorce, abortion, etc., while promoting the family as the first teacher of charity to the poor, social justice, community service, and work for the common good. Families today, the church acknowledges, are under attack, and we all know it. Families are struggling to survive our crazy, secular, consumeristic, materialistic, anti-family world, anti-life world. The sexual revolution of the 1960s has borne rotten fruit indeed, a contraceptive mentality, abortion with all its dire consequences, sexual diseases, illegitimacy, abandonment, and loneliness, just to name a few. Fear seems to be the determining factor in many people's lives today. Fear of divorce make men and women get married later in life or give up on marriage altogether. 
The average household has grown smaller over time and is often alienated by geography or, divi or divisions from the support of an extended family. Financial fears influence couples to have fewer children, hence vocations to the religious life and priesthood are declining as well. The percentage of children living with two parents has decreased while the percentage of children living only with their mothers has tripled in recent years. Living together without getting married is on the increase. About one in two marriages in the secular world ends in divorce, less so with Catholic families. Against these trends, there are two very hopeful and, I think, interesting facts. One of them is, uh, for those couples using natural family planning, NFP, you've probably heard of it, only 2% ever divorce. Now, why is that? Well, because there's a deeper communion and communication that has to take place between the spouses. Another amazing recent study from the University of Minnesota, we have a couple people from Minnesota here. They're probably sweating because it's so hot in here. <laughs> University of Minnesota study found that couples who pray together and read scripture, only 4% ever divorce. So the famous rosary priest, Father Peyton, was right. He said, the family that prays together stays together. So tonight I want you to hand your families over to, hand your, uh, bless you, hand your families over to the Lord. Just as they are. Each and every member. No? With all your worries for them. For all, you, all your love for them. Hand them over to the Lord. Trust it, that he's going to take care of them, especially during these next days. Each one of you most likely have or are experiencing some of the difficulties families today are faced with. So what do you do about it? Well, tonight, right at this moment, in this retreat, I'd like to lead you in doing the best possible thing. And that is recommitting your life to Jesus. You know, we think about him, we pray to him, we talk to him, but I think many times what's missing is we need to recommit our lives to him. Decidedly. Remembering that there is great power in the name of Jesus. Where two or more are gathered, there he is. If two or more of you agree to ask him for anything in his name, he will do it. If you call upon his name, he is there. So we call upon his name tonight. No matter how you might feel at this precise moment, I want you to look beyond your feelings, and I want you to make an act of will, which is an act of love, coming from your heart of hearts, which is where... Our freedom lies in our hearts. It is in our heart that God has given us the freedom to choose him, 
to come home to him, to experience his salvation and tender love once again. So I'd like you, in the next two or three minutes, yes, listen to what I'm saying and respond, but look at the crucifix, which is the greatest symbol of God's love for us. It's not just a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of how much he loves you and me. And right below the crucifix is the tabernacle, which is not a symbol at all, but a repository of the real presence of Jesus Christ in our midst, God with us, Emmanuel. So I'd like you to look at the crucifix and the tabernacle. Look at Jesus. And let us recommit, reconsecrate ourselves to him. So with your permission... I'd like you to repeat after me. You can even, you know, in, in a firm voice. Or if you, hopefully you'll feel your voice getting stronger as these words come forth. So please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. Lord Jesus, I want to be free. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my family. Lord Jesus, I entrust each member of my family to you now without worry. Lord Jesus, I know you love them even more than I do. Lord Jesus, I thank you for calling me to be at this retreat. Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Savior once again. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, heal me and help me enter your sacred heart. Lord Jesus, open my heart to receive the wonderful graces you want to give me. Lord Jesus, let me know the Father's love for me. Lord Jesus, help me to believe the fact that you have always loved me. Lord Jesus, let my heart be pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, help me never to doubt you. Lord Jesus, help me to know my, the purpose of my life. Lord Jesus, comfort, 
comfort me in my sufferings. We give everything over to you, Lord. And we praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Now that's only half of it. I hope you're not too tired. Because I want to lead you through something now. You know, along with reconnecting with Jesus, we have to take a second step, really. We need to repent of our own attitudes that have allowed well, we have allowed to impede our closeness to him. They've crept into our life, maybe. Or maybe we've heard that, that voice of the devil whispering and we've believed his lies. I have a really good devil voice. Uh, I'm always working on the Lord Jesus voice, but my devil voice is really good. Unfortunately. So I'd like you to lead you now. There's about the same number. Again, in the powerful name of Jesus, these are words of repentance. Maybe for some attitudes that, that you have, maybe some things you never thought about, maybe things you're going to be praying together with others, and it's really what others are experiencing and not you, but we're praying them together as a form of solidarity, and also where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there listening and responding. So, I'm going to lead you in these final renunciations and these prayers tonight of repentance. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of not loving God with my whole heart, mind, and strength. Lord Jesus, I repent of not thinking about you as much as I should. Lord Jesus, I repent of not trusting you. Lord Jesus, I repent of giving in to my fears. Lord Jesus, I repent of anything that makes me unfree. Lord Jesus, I repent of my disobedience and all my sins. Lord Jesus, I repent of believing the lies of the evil one. Lord Jesus, I repent of dwelling upon my own weakness. Lord Jesus, I repent of doubting your mercy. Lord Jesus, I repent of always looking to the past with sorrow. Lord Jesus, I repent of not putting the good news into practice. Lord Jesus, I repent of ignoring the good inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I repent of my lack of prayerfulness. Lord Jesus, I repent of my hypocrisy. Lord Jesus, I repent my lack of faith. Lord Jesus, I repent my hopelessness. Lord Jesus, I repent giving in to discouragement. 
Lord Jesus, I repent my lack of charity. Lord Jesus, I repent not being dedicated to my own conversion. Lord Jesus, I repent not following you more closely as your disciple. And last but not least, Lord Jesus, I repent my pride in thinking I could handle life without you. So I hope you can give all that stuff up. We give it all to our Lord. And uh, Sister uh, copied out a handout. Uh, hopefully you got a copy of it. It has some beautiful prayers. Uh, Pope Francis, uh, Saint Pope John Paul II, uh, prayers for the family, prayers for inner healing. There's a beautiful prayer uh, by Saint uh, Pope John the Twenty Third. Um, I invite you to use those prayers as kind of a, a diving board for your own personal prayer. You don't have to read them all at once. Just kind of pick one, you know, and use that as a meditation or in your in your prayer time, your free time. Sister's going to hand them out if anybody didn't get a copy, and they're on they're on purple paper, so very Lenten. But I'd like to conclude with a blessing from St. Paul. You know, when you read the letters of St. Paul, they're, they're not all that easy to understand. Even St. Peter said that. You know, reading Paul, it's pretty complicated. You can't really understand him. That's my St. Peter's Jewish accent. But it's really true. But the, the, the most easily understood passages, at least for me, of St. Paul, are these blessings that he gives from the Father. You know? You have to understand that, you know, in Christ we are blessed. We are being blessed by the Father. And so every blessing, I have a blessing after each uh, conference. And this blessing from St. Paul from the Father comes from 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 11 to 13. But don't worry about that right now. Just close your eyes just for a moment. And listen to these words directed to you and to your heart. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all people, as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen.